Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, September the 25th. Like we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Lots to get into with Bill today, so let's begin. Hi, Bill. How are you? Reasonably well, Silvio. Reasonably well. We are still waiting and looking carefully outside for the monumental rainstorm that we were supposed to be getting. Um, I was already in my my emergency boat in my apartment, ready to float out. But we got I think I saw three drops this morning. Um, I call these ever ready storms, you know, yes. or energizer storms. Uh, a lot of batteries being sold. But, we, but the, the storm did hit parts of the Atlantic coast, but not here. And uh, I think I think we've come through it all right. Well, Bill, I have to tell you that from a baseball perspective, there's a little history in New York this September. The Yankees were just eliminated, and the week before the Mets were eliminated. So it's going to be. Uh, I mean, you have a lot of passionate fans, baseball fans in New York, as you know, with the Dodgers as sure. well. And there's going to be a lot of very. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do in October. There's no postseason. For the Yankee fans or the Mets fans, and uh, well, I don't know. I I, I don't know what they're going to do. It's, it's unusual to think of <laughs> New York and no and no postseason baseball. Bill. Well, that's right. And remember, at one time we had three major league teams. We had the New York Giants, and yes, the the so-called Subway Series was a New York phenomenon and a, a tradition. And one of the most interesting things about that tradition that people don't remember is that when the Dodgers played the Yankees. The Dodgers had the smallest field in the major leagues, Ebbets Field. The Yankees had the largest. So you went from the smallest to the largest. It was a completely different game, absolutely different game. If you went, if you were there in person, I mean, and you watched the Dodgers and watched the center field to Duke Snyder, you were practically up against him. I mean, you got, you got to know him very well. In, in, in Yankee Stadium, and I did have the privilege of seeing uh, in my early years, Joe DiMaggio play in Yankee Stadium. He was a dot out in center field. You could barely see him. Right. Very different game. Yes. That's, that's and, what made baseball exciting. Yes. And one quick baseball question, Bill, and you, you should know the answer to this. I, I'm sure you do. How far apart, how many miles was Ebbets Field from Yankee Stadium or from the Polo Grounds? It wasn't that far, was it? Not at all. Yankee Stadium was in the Bronx. Uh, the uh, Ebbets Field was in Brooklyn. I don't recall the number of miles, but it couldn't have been more than seven. Okay. I mean, you could make the trip in a half an hour. Okay. And, so... and, and everyone went by subway anyway. Right. Yeah. You Because you have to cross a bridge, I believe, right? To, uh, the, to, yeah. to, to go to the Bronx, to right? Uh, yes, you had, uh, was it the Triborough at that time? I don't know yeah. if it was built yet. Okay. Uh, yes, I think it was the Triborough. Yeah. I think and it's now I think it's now called Ed Koch Bridge. Yes, I think so. I think so. Well, another quick anniversary bill today, uh, 1789. That's an important year in American history. That was the year that President Washington was inaugurated, 1789. The Bill of Rights were finally ratified by the states, so they became part of the of the Constitution, the first 10 amendments. You know, a lot of people don't realize that that, that they came separate to the Constitution. They came oh, yes. in as amendments. Uh, and uh, it took, I guess, uh, a few states to ratify that. But the whole thing was complete, I guess, once the Bill of Rights was, uh, was in the Constitution Bill. I, I live about five blocks from the building in which New York ratified uh, the Bill of Rights. It's right here in White Plains, New York, which is a very famous colonial city, actually. And I don't think most people living in White Plains know it's here. 
but that's where it uh, that that's where the New York State ratified its it sent in its ratification. Wow, yeah, that's that's very historic. Uh, it, you know, that's another thing. New York was a was very much a part of of the of course the thirteen colonies, but a, a very strong participant in in everything the Constitution. Yes, and everything else. So there's a lot of history. That's one of the reasons I enjoy going to New York City because there's a lot of history everywhere you turn as well as a few wonderful churches. I did get a kick out of that, Bill. Yes, well, it, uh, New York is where uh, George Washington was inaugurated as the first president of the United States. Uh, they, there are some wonderful uh, churches in New York, especially Trinity Church down uh, in lower Manhattan where Alexander Hamilton is buried and uh, some others. And there is right nearby is the place where Nathan Hale said, I'm sorry, I have but one life to give for my country and was executed. It, uh, New York has played a tremendous role in American history. That role has diminished over the years. And in fact, sure. I'm going to a meeting in a couple of weeks on just that subject on the decline of New York. And one of the reasons it was diminished is that the people who ran New York were very little interested in its participation with the rest of the country. They, there is that problem of New York uh, um, being very isolated. Uh, uh, what is the term that is usually used? I've forgotten. But it seems to think it's not part of the country. It's kind of different from the country. It really isn't. It was at one time right. very much a part of the country. Absolutely. No, I, of course it was. It, it was. And for a lot of people who are not from the United States, Bill, they almost, they think of New York City as the capital city. Of the That's United right. States. And it, and at one People time overseas. It, at one time it was the w w the Brooklyn Navy Yard, the New York Naval Shipyard, was the most important navy yard in the United States, and wow. you could sit on a bench on the East River and see some of the most famous ships built uh, going right past you, especially during World War II. I would go to wow. my grand my grandmother's house. You went over the Manhattan Bridge, you looked down and saw aircraft carriers being built, and it was mm. just I mean we were on the front lines in New York. And sadly, that is all gone. Well, I think some of the population shift has yes. probably had something to do with that. You know, at one time, um, you look back in some of these electoral college maps. Uh, you know, when FDR was elected in 1932, I think New York had twice as many electoral votes as Texas, for example. Oh, yes. Back then. I think at its, uh, at its peak, I think it had 45 electoral votes. Yes, and today it, Texas has 40, and New York, I believe, uh, is around 30, I think, uh, or something. I, you know, something I don't like, even, I, I, yeah. I'm ashamed to say I don't know the number. But Yeah, New but York, it's not 40. It's not no. 40. No, it's New less York. than New York, or less than, than, than Texas. Oh, yes. New York is today an out-migration state. Right. Uh, my, many more people are leaving than staying, and for good reason. It has lost so many of the features that made it great, and also it has enormously high income taxes and enormously high costs of living. That's so people right. people are living, and they're actually finding out that there are other states in the country where real people live. <laughs> I mean, they 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 read, they 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 take baths, they uh, they they, they um, uh, eat. I mean, they do real things. They consume, yeah, in consume. these other countries. Well, it's just interesting because the top three electoral college numbers today would be California, Texas, and Florida. That's right. And I guarantee you that was not the case in 32 when FDR was elected. I bet maybe California, but certainly not not Texas and Florida. At the time, they were Texas was way out, and I assume Florida was just a place people went in the wintertime, Bill. 
that's exactly right. Florida was the go-to place for New Yorkers. And I remember just as a little boy, we would get on the the East Coast line or uh, or New York Central and go to Florida. And it was like a standard trip. Uh, and uh, that was it was seen basically as a place where uh, we had a lot of coconuts and a lot of hotels. And in fact, my first memory as a human being was sitting on the beach in Miami watching American troops do their calisthenics. They had wow. taken over many of the hotels because right. they didn't have enough barracks and they would train on the beaches. Yes, interesting. It's fascinating how things change. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the current events. Uh, let's begin with President Biden. Two new polls came out. One has him, This is the first one is Washington Post ABC. And this one has President Trump at 51 and President Biden at 42, so a nine-point lead for President uh, Trump. The other one has it at 46, 46, and that's NBC is the other one. So, you know, I sometimes it's hard to take these match match matchup numbers seriously this far in advance, but what what is fascinating about both and where they are very similar, these two polls, is the dissatisfaction with President yes. Biden dissatisfaction that I guess people feel every time they pump gasoline, every time they find, buy food, every time they go out to lunch, or maybe every time they see what's happening on the border. What an absolute mess on the border, Bill. Well, a, a disgrace and a disgrace to this country and to, to its history. Make The point is being made now that it could fundamentally change the United States. I mean, just the sheer number of people coming in illegally uh, could 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 flip the electoral vote in many states because you can be sure they are going to states that are going to try to naturalize them as fast as possible, and I don't mean anything against these people. They're, they're, I mean they're human beings; they deserve to be treated with dignity. But this is just no way to build a country. It really isn't. Here in New York, they were they. I mean, they, they, these hypocrites who declared New York a, a sanctuary city and never considered what that would actually mean. If the border was open, well, we now know what it would mean. We do not have the spaces in New York to place large numbers of people. And the schools basically have been told to fend for themselves, that right. the teachers have not been given any instruction. We, we do not have the number of Spanish speaking teachers that we need. These kids are going to school and can't understand a word and the teachers can't understand them. And they're told, do the best you can. Right. And, and Bill, the other thing, too, is, is, you know, there you have that many people coming in, 5 million, whatever the number is. And do we have enough housing? No. For example, here, here in the North Texas area where I live, North Texas, uh, we, we have our share of, of some of these people too, primarily Venezuelans. And what they're finding out, what they're finding out is that the more people who come in, the more they drive up the rent. Because yes. they're, you know, we don't, we're already facing a, a, a shortage with all the people moving in from California. Now, the difference is that people moving in from California are generally buying homes. Yes. Whereas many of these migrants are renting apartments. But we're finding out that everything is going up like crazy when it comes to rent. Uh, you know, the, the, like you say, the schools. And I, I don't know, it, it offends me. It offends me as, a, as someone who came here as an immigrant with my parents, it offends me because like when I hear people call it immigration, this is not immigration. No, it's not. It's not immigration. This is uh, anything but immigration. Immigration is what my family went through, 
where you come in in an orderly way and you go through a process, you have to follow a certain number of rules, you come into the country, and then when you come into the country, you're in legally. You don't have to worry about papers or work permits or anything like that. You have them already because you've been accepted legally. But I, I see some crazy things. I, I see now the White House is coming out. We'll get back to President Biden in a minute, but I just wanted to bring up work permits. The White House has just approved, I guess, 400,000 work permits. And the Dallas Morning News had an editorial on Sunday basically saying this is the worst thing they can do. All they're going to do is encourage more people to come in and wait for their work permit. I mean, it's just crazy what they're doing, Bill. It is. And then you wonder, especially if we have a recession, what happens to the American worker who is here legally uh, watching a foreign worker who is not here legally take his job uh, at a lower at a lower wage? Uh, and I'm, I'm afraid if that happens, there will really be an explosive result. Right. But the people in Washington don't seem to care. And I might add that the people who run newspapers don't seem to care. This is a major crisis in the United States. And you can be sure that if the New York Times ran an editorial, they'd blame Texas. <laughs> That's right. Well, they are. I guess everybody's blaming Texas. But I think Governor Abbott, uh, in retrospect, he may have pulled off one of the biggest political moves in the history of the country when he started sending people to yes. these locations because he said, oh, we can. you're a sanctuary city? Well, here, help us out. And, and what I find amusing is New York City is complaining about, what, 20,000 people? That's how many people they had in Eagle Pass. Last week, in Eagle Pass has a population of like 10,000 people. Bill. That's right. That's right. Well, I don't know. Maybe the theory of the people in Washington is that a lot of the illegals will stay in Texas. They'll find ways of voting and they'll flip the state. And that may happen. Look, that may happen. Uh, we, 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 we may think of it as almost a joke, but it can happen. Um, uh, people have strange ways of showing up on voter rolls. And uh, I know that the, the mainstream press says, oh, no, 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 no. The voting system is secure. The heck it is. Uh, it, it's not secure. And also, you're dealing with a situation now involving the border where people can see it on television. Right. And right. you cannot, one of the first rules in, in politics is you cannot tell people they don't see what they actually see. Right. And they're trying to do that. And sadly, the American press is right behind them. The failures of the press during this period in our history are so great that I think if the history was written honestly, they would be considered one of the great villains. Right. Well, it's interesting because I think Jim Acosta of CNN, I don't really watch him, but I saw this click, this little, you know, part of his interview, I guess. He was interviewing somebody. I don't remember who. And he kept insisting, Jim Acosta, Acosta of CNN, kept saying, the border is not open. Yes, that's what he, I see. And I'm sitting there saying, Jim, come on, Jim, you, you, you cannot be serious. Let me show you this clip. I mean, it, it's crazy to say that the border is not open, Bill. Well, he is a you know he is a hardline uh, liberal. He was he was the nemesis of of, of President Trump at news conferences. Uh, you could always count on Jim Acosta to, to take the party line, and he's doing it again. He could be well, so much more if he would just get off that kick. But I saw I saw part of the interview that you're referring to. Oh, okay. Well, the good news about Jim Acosta is that nobody really watches him. I guess that's yeah. that's the best part of it all. But I mean, with a straight face, he says uh, the, the border is not open. And, and I just find, look, I mean, 
the mayor of El Paso, Bill, a Democrat, is sending buses to New York. That's right. So it's no longer Governor Abbott. Now the mayor of, and the mayor of Eagle Pass is also a Democrat. And he's, you know, screaming. And you well, know Henry Cuellar, the representative down on the border, he's screaming too, Bill. Well, the, the, there are a lot of Democrats who are finding that they cannot sustain their their allegiance to the party under these circumstances. The party is destroying them, and the party doesn't care. I mean, the Democratic Party doesn't care about the people of Texas. The Democratic Party cares about the people that went to Princeton, you know, and, and, and are living in Washington in, in big houses, having government jobs that nobody understands. Right. And, well, and I, you, I, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, okay. I was going to say that the, I thought the Dallas Morning News uh, in, in the editorial was pretty clear saying that, the, you know, this was a bad idea, that all you're, all you're going to do is encourage more people to come because they, they will come under the expectation that they will overwhelm once again a city. And then the Biden administration will reply by saying, OK, well, let's issue another another of these so-called TPS, which is temporary, something temporary. Um, and this particular one that they approved applies to people who came, I guess, before August 1st. Yes. Well, a, a lot of people have come since August 1st. What are you going to do with them, Bill? Well, I don't know. And they don't know. But all they do is keep on lying about it. It's secure. Uh, it's under control. And all these bigots out there who don't want them here, you know, immediately that's played. That if you don't want them here, you're a bigot. You don't understand American history. And who's in charge of the border, theoretically? The vice president of the United States. And she may be the president of the United States before too long. What a frightening thought. Yes. And she uh, wants to get to the source of, I mean, she kept talking about, we got to go to the source of the problem. But I guess she hasn't, I, she hasn't been down here in a long time. So I well, don't know what she's doing these days. Well, though. theoretically, the source of the problem is the dictatorships from which these people are coming. But isn't it interesting, since this problem erupted uh, and, the, and these dictatorships start sending their people north, I haven't seen a single television story about the nature of these dictatorships, not one. I mean, remember the days when movie stars embraced uh, the uh, the president of Venezuela as a right. visionary. What was his the, the, what was his name Chavez. again? Chavez. Hugo, Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez. Yeah, oh, remember Sean Penn yes. was down there saying greetings from Hollywood. Now that Venezuela has been exposed as a horrible place to live, uh, we don't see them down there anymore, do we? Well, no, and and in fact, uh, another thing that's happening too is that you have some left wing governments that have come to power through the elections, Colombia. Uh, Mexico, well, Venezuela, of course, that wasn't an election, but still. And my, a lot of these left-wing governments now depend on remittances coming from the United States. So it, it's an interesting thing going on. People are coming, and then they send money back. And the money that is going back is actually, it's almost like a social security program. Yes. It's keeping a lot of families together. I remember... Uh, an interesting article that came out in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago, Bill, a few years ago, actually. And this reporter goes down to the interior of Mexico in a small town, and he's walking around, you know, seeing the town, and he notices that, you know, most of the houses are older, but then he notices that a few houses are actually painted and quite, quite well, looking really good. And then he asks whoever was with him, I said, and what about that house? That looks really pretty. 
And the, the, the person who was taking him around said, well, they've got family in the north. And then they go to another place. Oh, they've got family in the north. Uh, so the families in the north, meaning the United States, are pumping billions of dollars annually into the Mexican economy. Now, in all fairness, these people work for the money. They're not getting it for free. But, but this money is, in a sense, supporting the system that they have. Because yes, if this right. money was not coming in, these governments would have a lot of problems, a lot of social problems that these dollars from the United States are taking care of. Remember, these dollars are these are literally cash payments. That's right. I mean, because they, they you know they wire this money, of course, through banks, but it's cash that goes right into somebody's checking account, and it also eventually ends up in the central bank of Mexico. The cash when when they deposit it in the bank or they spend it, 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 these dollars end up in, in the Central Bank of Mexico. So you have to wonder if this is a scam, you know, a scam in the sense that they're encouraging people to come so that they send money back to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a scam in every way. I mean, it is not difficult to close the border. We've done it many times, it's, and we've, the border was secure at one time, so we know how to do it. Uh, Trump was building his border wall, uh, and it was canceled by Biden, uh, and Kamala Harris is in charge of the bo- of the border. I think it is part of of the whole uh, the whole trend in America of decline. It's a it's a country in decline, and you feel it all around you. And it, it's a terrible tragedy because the the world really does depend on America for its defense. The free world it depends on it for so many other things. And I think that those embassies in Washington, where they write analyses every day of the United States, must be sending back some pretty grim reports. Uh, you and, would think so. Yeah. And there's there's nothing worse than watching the decline. Yes, that's right. I mean, that's the other thing. When you're watching this decline, when you're seeing you know what's going on, when you're seeing gasoline prices at 350 or whatever, and you're saying to yourself, you know, just a few years ago, we didn't have this problem. And that's because we we had a president who understood energy policy. Maybe he had a bad personality. I understand that. Maybe his tweets were bad. I get that. But certainly when it came to the energy policy and to the border policy, he was right on, Bill. He absolutely was. And he was also uh, right on and not going along with every little trend and every trendy cause that comes along. I mean, this business of, of global warming, yes, there is global warming, but there was a, a, a letter that was signed a couple of days ago by, I think, 1,500 scientists from around the world saying there is no crisis. The world is not going to come to an end. The world is not going to collapse. There may be some damage, but the world has gone through climate change before. But that is not a message that the far left wants to hear. The far left wants to impose a crisis because when you have a crisis, as Rahm Emanuel once said, no, let no crisis go unused. A crisis allows them to do some things. They declare national emergencies, and they can do what they want to do. So they don't care what the truth is. That's for sure. That's right. Now, I remember when, when we were supposed to be cooling down. Remember that? Wasn't that long ago? It was supposed to be global cooling. Yes. And then oh. it was supposed to be global warming. Yes. And I remember books, Bill. Maybe you remember books. I remember the Newsweek, Newsweek cover. Yes. Uh, at one time had global cooling. And then later on, they said, no, it's global warming now. And I'm sitting there saying, wow, that's a big change in 20 years. That's right. <laughs> that's a lot they, of change in 20 they, years. They predicted what they called the new ice age. Right. 
and right. and we I haven't seen too much ice. Have you seen a lot of ice? I haven't. No, no. I, not not in places. It's not. There's not supposed to be ice. I mean, I see a lot of ice in Iceland and in the Alaska. Yeah, yes. they still have a lot of ice up there, but we haven't seen too much here in Texas lately. I'll tell you that. But yeah. it, it's just crazy. I mean, the and then there was that list of all the predictions that have come wrong. Oh, I mean, absolutely. you would think that if you make this list had 30 predictions and all of them were supposed to happen uh, by now. Uh, and you would think that if you make 30 predictions and they're wrong, you would think you go back to, to wherever you came from and say, you know what? Uh, we're not, we, our predictions are not coming true. Maybe we need to check the chemicals or whatever, of whatever we're doing because it's not happening, Bill. Well, that's right. And not only that, but the, as a result of this panic, we are imposing on Americans things like electric cars, which are far from perfected, far from perfected, forcing families to spend enormous amounts of money for cars they don't want. Apparently, they're all lying out there on the lots because nobody wants them. Right. Uh, apparently, what I heard a few days ago, and again, I, I cannot check this. I'm just passing on what was said on a program. I, uh, that Ford Motor Company loses $60,000 on every electric car that it sells. How do you, how do you maintain a corporation like that? Right. Well, I guess you, they get subsidies, but that's probably not going to go on forever either. No. But but the problem, and I, I can tell you, I mean, uh, Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez can tell you what the problem with electric cars is. She bought, she wanted, she wanted to buy an electric car, but it didn't have the range, I guess, to go from New York to Washington. Right. So she decided not to get one, I guess. But that's the problem. I mean, if you live in a, in a metropolitan area like New York, you, maybe you drive 200 miles a week, if that yes. much. But if you live in Texas, you drive, you know, you drive 200 miles easily in a week. I know that. Yes. So you, you're going to be charging your car at least twice a week. Uh, and it, it's very cumbersome when you have to charge it outside of your house. At home, you can just plug it in, of course. Yeah, but even but, if you plug it in at home, you notice the one statistic they don't give you is how much will it, char will, will it cost you to charge that car? two or three times a week. That's a lot of electricity. It is. And if everybody else does it, then, you know, I guess we're going to have to build more power plans to uh -oh. charge mm -hmm. all, of, all the, a couple of topics, Bill, I wanted to get into, but let me go back for a second to President Biden. What these polls show is tremendous dissatisfaction with him as a leader, as a president. And you, you have to wonder if maybe some Democrats are not reconsidering his candidacy. I I don't know how you can look at this poll. I know it's far in advance and there's plenty of time, but but it's not a good poll. I mean, when 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 37% of the people approve of your presidency, you're getting pretty close to family territory, Bill. That's absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, I've always said the base of the Democratic Party was 30%. Uh, and that it's approaching that, as you said. Uh, the, I think the dissatisfaction is not only with him personally, but the whole political picture in Washington. Uh, neither party gets very high ratings, but of course he's the guy in power, so he's going to he's going to get hit. And just a feeling that the government doesn't re really represent us; it doesn't represent our values. It represents small groups of people with a lot of money and uh, a kind of trendy attitude toward life. And they, I think, there's also a feeling among people in the uh, the working uh, uh, the working communities that the Democratic Party has just about abandoned them, and has no interest in them, and they are finding a home in the Republican Party. But the Republican Party doesn't know how to reach out to them 
as well as it should. You know, we can criticize the Democrats all they want. The Democrats should be in a commanding position right now. I'm, I'm sorry, the Republicans. The Republicans should be in a commanding position right now, and they're not. And one of the reasons is they, they really don't know how to go after votes, and, and, and they don't know how to win. One Republican said this week that the Republicans are too content with losing. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Yeah. They're, they're too gentlemanly. The Republicans can, can really make enormous gains next year. I don't know if they can make those gains with Donald Trump. We've talked about that before. Well, and that's my point, that, that I think you, you wonder if Donald Trump's name was not on the ballot and it was more of a referendum uh, about Biden, I think these numbers could be bigger. Oh, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the reality is that when you put Trump on, on the ballot, there are just some people who are never going to vote for him that, That's for right. whatever reason. That's and, right. And, and you have to, I've always been afraid of that because I look at that poll 46 46, and I'm saying to myself, those 46 who are supporting Joe Biden, how much of that is just, I hate Trump? But, yes. The, how can you possibly be satisfied with Joe Biden, but yet? 46, 46. I think a lot of that is Trump. Uh, I, I happen to agree with you. He just turns a lot of people off. And you, when you can think of it a year from today, it's hard to think a year from today because any number of things can happen. I mean, neither of these people could be at the top of their tickets. Right. Uh, I, I think there is clearly a movement underway in the Democratic Party, but may, people make the point it may be too late. And the party itself is working for Joe Biden. Uh, and then on the Republican side, can anyone catch Trump? I don't really think so at this. Well, stage, not not yeah. right now, not right now. I mean, the, the the time isn't there. This is like this is sort of like in a baseball analogy. He's got like a ten game ten game lead on Labor Day. I mean, it's kind of tough to 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 lose that. Yes, but, but still, but still, it it could happen. It, it could happen. Bill, a couple of quick things here uh, before we run out of time. Uh, you wrote an article about public school, a public school in Maryland where something, I don't know how many schools, the kids were not even proficient in math. And then you see numbers like that, and, and you don't, the reaction from the local communities is, okay, so what? They don't know how to do math at whatever level. I mean, there ought to be the governor of that state should fire everybody or should call for everybody on that school board to resign when you have numbers like this. I mean, it's, how, how can you possibly have a school where kids cannot do math, Bill? Well, the actual figure uh, was that 40% of the schools in Baltimore do not have one student who can do math at a grade level. Wow. Not one student. And you, you're talking about an impending disaster. What happens when these kids grow up? If they do grow up, they also have a very large crime rate. And the attitude among the people is ho-hum. Right. No hum. And the reason is that the leadership and, and that you have to call out the black leadership on this, they don't seem to care as long as they take critical race theory and, and, right. and, and learn and learn uh, to, to, to resent everybody. That seems to be pretty much where they are. But without math today and without a, an ability to do technical work, without be understanding the technological uh, revolution, you're going to be nowhere. And these people are going to be at the bottom again. That's right. And and then you wonder about the leadership. A lot of the leadership doesn't send their kids to that school. And that's the other thing. That's absolutely that, right. You know, a lot of them send their kids to private schools. So they're doing fine. They're doing fine. But it's the kids in these neighborhoods. This is such a, a bloody thing that, you know, it makes me wonder 
what the governors of these states are thinking, the governor of Illinois, the governor of Maryland, what are they thinking when, when they allow stuff like this to happen? You would think that the governor would call out the school board and say, this is ridiculous for you to, to have results like this. One more thing I wanted to mention, Bill, is <laughs> right before we went on, we were talking about foreign policy. And, and you know, you, you, what you were saying right before we went on is that foreign policy has a way of creeping up on you. And, you know, the, 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 the one day you don't realize 9-11 happens or something or That's right. Pearl Harbor happens. And, and this is the way it's always been. It comes out of nowhere. And you've got situations like Iran, Ukraine, Russia and China. Talk a little bit about that. And what you said about Iran, I thought was pretty alarming, Bill. Well, the other countries are not stopping their foreign policy and their foreign aggression because we have a problem at the border you know, or, or because we have an election. Uh, the television networks, the news programs tend to concentrate on the horse race and the election. Uh, but uh, we are being challenged around the world now. We are being challenged in the Pacific by China uh, with the possibility that if we show weakness, they may really try to take Taiwan. The question is, what do we then do? The, the discussion isn't even being held. What if Taiwan begins to fall? Do we send troops? I mean, then, then it's not a war about Taiwan anymore. Then it's a China-America war. Uh, do we send troops to die for Taiwan? What will the American people think? What if we don't do it? What if we don't do it and Taiwan falls? There is no country in Asia that's going to take us seriously. You know, what counts around the world is power and, and who wins. Uh, and if it, 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 what is amazing is how it is off the front pages. We now know that Iran is probably within a few weeks of building an atomic bomb. That doesn't mean they will build it, but they have the the uh, the purified uranium that uh, that that they need to build the bomb, and uh, they they have that. They also are building intercontinental ballistic missiles, and we don't even mention them. I mean, the discussions about Iran, last week we had an agreement with Iran to uh, get five of our citizens back who were hostages in exchange for our releasing something like $6 billion in funds to Iran. What do the people in Washington think Iran is going to do with that money? They're not going to engage in public service. They're not going to teach Hebrew in their schools. They're they're going to build weapons, and yet it's... The press does not seem terribly interested. Or they may funnel that money to terrorist organizations. It's yes. not like they don't have any more friends in the terrorist community. I mean, they're still very actively connected to many uh, of these groups. And then you've got, Bill, the the, the Ukraine war that just yes. seems to go on. goes on and, and on. I mean, I, uh, look, I like to see Ukraine win the war, but I wish we had a better explanation of what's going on. It seems like the only... The only thing we ever talk about, and this is why I think so many people are confused, is the only thing we ever talk about, we're going to send more money. We're going to yes. send more money. We're going to send more money. Okay, fine. I'm not against sending the money, but explain to me what is the objective. I well, mean, that's when, it. That, that's, that doesn't seem to be a real policy. The, well, the policy, if anything, is, well, we won't really let Ukraine lose. Well, right. how do we prevent that? Right. Uh, we, we, if we're going to send arms to Ukraine, send the arms they need to win the war or begin a negotiation uh, and break uh, some heads there uh, in both co- the, uh, the Soviet Union, not Soviet Union, but Russia and Ukraine and get some kind of at least a temporary truce to stop the fighting. Right. 
Uh, we've done that before, but there does not really seem to be a policy. Uh, at the same time, while we talk about uh, uh, China, in, in Western Europe, they talk about Russia. Russia is becoming a threat again. And you see countries beginning to take that threat seriously. I mean, Germany finally has, has woken up. Norway uh, uh, has woken up. Sweden is now a member of NATO. I think it is. I don't. Maybe they. I think it's Finland. Finland, right? Uh, Finland. Finland. Finland is is the member. Uh, Sweden has applied. Uh, these are countries you never believed in the past would want to be part of NATO. No. Now they realize they're in danger. That's right. And let's just hope they all pay their share. Yes, yes. And that's the other issue because it's great to be a part of NATO, but uh, you know when the check comes around, uh, a lot of countries say, "Well, we'll mail the check next week," and they never do. That's right. And, and you have some some problems uh, like that. Let's just hope. But it just seems to be Bill more and more when I when I uh, you know to, to sort of wrap it up this week. But when I see the public uh, the attitudes about President Biden, what I see more and more is a public saying. This guy is not exercising leadership. You, you can criticize Reagan or I know they love to criticize George W. Bush, but I thought the guy at least had a, had, a, had an idea of what he wanted to do and he sold it and he went to the American people. We're not getting any of that with Ukraine, though. No, we're not. And should there be a major crisis which requires our participation, who will make the decisions? There's a growing feeling, whether it's true or not, that uh, Obama, that uh, um, Biden is not really in charge of his own administration, that behind the scenes that the Obama crowd is pulling the strings. It certainly is true in the Middle East. Uh, it seems to be true with Iran policy. I mean, at what point do we say to Iran, enough, stop doing what you're doing, or there'll be no future. But That's they, right. they, they won't do it. Well, again, you know, they have to fear the person who's telling them that. Yes, so they don't and fear Joe Biden. They don't fear Joe Biden, and they, you know, they may fear the United States military. That's true, because we still have tremendous, tremendous power. But they certainly don't think that the man running the show is going to make the call to use that military. I mean, I don't want to use the military. You know, that's the last thing I want to do. Right. But the military is is the uh, the way you push your weight around. You know, they know that you will use the, the military against them, you're going to get them to negotiate a little bit better. I've always felt that way, Bill. Absolutely. That's, that's a, a powerful piece. That's and it right. became a theme and it works. That's right. Well, Bill, have a great week. As always, it's a great pleasure to, to, to chat with you and to, and to chat with you about these issues. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, my gosh, we have already have a lot to talk about next week. We will have plenty to talk about. And then week week after week after that. That's right. It's going okay. to be like that. Thank you so much, Bill, for, My pleasure. for joining us as always. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Another, uh, another great uh, conversation with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. You know, there was a... Uh, there was a time when you you could you know you could talk about the United States and the United States being a, a superpower and that commanded a certain degree of respect and I don't know if that's true anymore. When people see what's happening on the border, when people see the weakness that we're projecting from the White House, I don't know. It makes me wonder. Bill brought up the idea that we're a nation in decline. That's what I fear that we're a nation in decline. Now it doesn't have to be a permanent decline. I don't want to sound like. Governor DeSantis, but I think he does have a point when he says we're a nation in decline, but it's not permanent. We can still turn it around and believe in this great country again. 
Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Enjoy your Monday. Have a great week, and good luck to the Rangers. They've got some big games coming up this week. Bye-bye, everybody.